Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon. What are you tempted by? What comes to mind when you hear the word temptation? What, what comes to your own mind? How do you answer that personally? What are you personally tempted by? There's a lot of ways to answer that question, aren't there? A whole lot of ways. Uh, because there's so much variety in terms of what we ourselves experience. Uh, for some people, the temptations are, are verbal. They all have to do with words, uh, some of their, their most intense temptations. Uh, they're tempted to say things that they know they shouldn't say. Maybe mean things, harsh things, coarse things. Uh, some are tempted by envy or jealousy. Uh, they crave what other people have. They want what doesn't belong to them. Uh, Some are tempted by pride. They're tempted in terms of how they think about themselves, or maybe to what they do. They they brag about themselves. They look down on other people. Uh, Some are tempted to steal. Some are tempted to gossip. Some are tempted to cheat, to get ahead. Uh, Some struggle with sexual temptations. They're tempted to, to do or to watch, or to read, or to look at, or to fantasize about something or someone that the scriptures forbid. Uh, Others are tempted by some form of gluttony, and that might mean food. We usually associate food with that word, but it's not just food. It could be alcohol, or shopping, or, or spending hours and hours on video games, or television shows, or social media, something like that. Those are all manifestations of, of gluttony. Maybe you identify with one of those I've named so far, or maybe you think of something else altogether. But whatever it is that comes to mind, since you have a heartbeat today, I take it for granted that there's something. I take it for granted that something comes to mind when I ask that question, what are you tempted by? And that's why this passage is so important. It's such a a moving and important passage. Uh, This morning, we're going to talk about how Jesus, our Savior, resisted temptation. He resisted temptation. Uh, It was something we talked about back in Hebrews, about how he was tempted just as we are. It's this theme that runs through that book. Here it is again. Here it is in the Gospels. Uh, Jesus was tempted. So we're in Luke. We're studying through Luke together here in the first part of the year. Uh, We're in Luke chapter 4, the first 13 verses chronicle for us the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Uh, I'm actually going to cover this passage in two sermons. Uh, We could squeeze it all into one, but I think this issue is so personal, so practical, so relevant to our lives that we're going to do it in two. I didn't want to have to rush this one. Uh, Next week, we'll come back. We'll have the same scripture reading. We'll look at the same passage, and we'll go through it, and we'll look at the theology of this passage, specifically what it tells us about Jesus, because there's some pretty rich stuff in here about who Jesus is and how he prepares, how he was prepared for his ministry. Remember I said last week, that's uh, something Luke's doing here in the last part of chapter three, first part of four, is showing us that Jesus was prepared and equipped for his ministry. That's next week. Uh, This morning, I want to go through this passage in the way a lot of times we think of this passage first, which is simply what it tells us about ourselves. Uh, And so I specifically want to look at the example of Jesus. We're going to look at how Jesus uh, resisted temptation and how his temptation, his example helps us. And that's, that's our main idea this morning. It's kind of a simple, straightforward sort of a lesson. We should resist temptation. How? By following the example of Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about today. 
This is an appropriate thing to do with the Gospels. Uh, we've talked about this a couple of times already in Luke. Uh, one of the many reasons Jesus became a human being, and I don't think it's the main reason, it's not the most important reason, but one of the reasons he became human was to show us how it should be done. Right? He came to give us an example. We even touched on that last week when we talked about the humanity of Jesus. Well, today we're going to take that principle, we're going to apply it specifically to temptation. How did Jesus do it? And therefore, how can we do it? So turn with me to Luke 4, please. And uh, what I've got here are four tips. That's how we're going to break this out. Four tips for those of us, all of us who are tempted. Four tips for resisting temptation that we get from the master, from Jesus himself. All right, number one, the first tip that we get from Christ's example is to recognize that you're being tempted kind of starts there. When we're tempted, it's important to recognize that's, that's what's happening, right? So awareness here is, is what we're talking about in this first point. Awareness of the seriousness, awareness of the danger of the temptation. Uh, we see this with Jesus. I think it, it's, it's an assumption in this text from the opening words of the chapter. Uh, Jesus knew why he was in the wilderness. He knew what he was there for. So uh, first two verses, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. And so remember, he was baptized. We looked at that last week. Full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. So simple observation. The Holy Spirit, so remember the Holy Spirit came down as a dove, settled upon Jesus, anointed him for his ministry. He'd known the Spirit from eternity past, but here he is and ready to do his ministry. Holy Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove. One of the first orders of business is that the Holy Spirit leads him into the, the wilderness, the desert country, sometimes some translations will say desert, into the wilderness in order to be tempted. And Luke, Luke's language is a little more subtle on it, but Matthew's is straightforward. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says, in order to be tempted. By the devil. And so there's, that was the agenda of this wilderness trip. We're going out, and Jesus knew it. Jesus knew why the Spirit was leading him into the wilderness. And so Jesus knew what this was about. He wasn't caught off guard or surprised as and when the temptations came during that, that 40 days in the wilderness. And I'm, just, I'm building my first point around that simple observation because sometimes this is where we go wrong. We blunder into sin sometimes simply because we don't recognize that we're being tempted. We don't recognize the danger that we're in in, in particular situations. You know, I'll, I'll, just as an example of how we can blunder into sin. Uh, have you ever been in a conversation with, with a friend of yours and you're just talking about whatever, right? You're talking about the game this afternoon or whatever, something going on in town. And then gradually your, your friend uh, begins to slip just oh so, so, so gradually into the confidential tone, right? That person begins to use the confidential tone. You know what I mean, right? They get the voice drops just a little bit and they lean in just a little bit closer and there's kind of a, you know, who's, who's here? Is that person? And, and then off they go, right? And, 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 and that's a crucial moment when you see that happen. Or maybe sometimes we're the ones doing it, right? When it's a crucial moment right there at that point. If we're, if we're not alert to it, we can end up sliding into gossip, right? So we weren't gossiping. We were just chatting about who's going to win the Super Bowl today. But next thing you know, we're, we're gossiping. Maybe we're even slandering somebody if it isn't true. And, and so and that idea of awareness, Awareness is so important. And one of the things that makes this really hard is that many times the things that we're tempted by 
are, are innocent in and of themselves, or maybe even they're good. In some instances, they're good. And so that's what, so we're not talking about kind of, you know, taking a stroll through the red light district or something like that. We're talking about something that, that is good, or, or at least neutral. Uh, and you see that in this passage. The temptations Jesus faces here, they're, they're not bad things in and of themselves, or at least there's an element of them in which there's good involved. And so, for example, um, eating bread, right? He's hungry. The devil says, here, make, you, make yourself some bread. There's nothing wrong with bread when you're hungry, right? Bread when you're hungry, that's a good thing. So, so you know, a lot of times we struggle. We're like, why is that? Why would that have been a sin for him to do that? We'll actually talk about that next week when we come back to the passage. Like I said, I'm gonna, we're going to cover it twice. But bread's a good thing when you're hungry. There's nothing wrong with Jesus wanting to rule the kingdoms of the earth. In fact, that's what he's going to do someday. He's going to rule the kingdoms of the world. Uh, there's nothing wrong. You know, that was the second one. The third one where the devil basically says, do a miracle. Right? Get, get, you know, do a miracle. Get God to do a miracle here. Jesus is going to do a lot of miracles in the Gospel of Luke. So there's nothing wrong inherently with miracles. And so there's this element of good mixed in with each of the temptations he faced. But Jesus knew the stakes. He understood the danger. He understood what, what was going on here. He recognized that he had been led into this wilderness place in order to be tempted. And so he understood the danger of what he was facing. Uh, several years ago, there was... Um, uh, an unusual run of tuna. Now, I know a lot of us don't know a lot about t- tuna fishing, but um, it, was, it happened out uh, just off the coast of Cape Cod, and usually, basically, you have to go to deeper waters to catch tuna. But for something in the, the currents or whatever, the tuna were coming in real close uh, to the shore off the Cape. And so when the news went out on this, a bunch of amateur fishermen got really excited about this, because usually you got to have the big commercial boats to go out and catch tuna. And tuna, they're pretty lucrative. It's, you know, it's a popular fish to eat. Even if you don't like fish, you might like tuna. And, and so you can, make a, you can make some good money if you can, if you can fish for tuna. And so when this um, run of tuna came in close to the shore, uh, lots of kind of amateur fishermen with the smaller boats, not commercial guys, started getting ready to go out. There's kind of the rumors started to spread. The Coast Guard heard about this and issued a warning. The Coast Guard issued a warning, said, don't do it. Don't go after the tuna. Yeah, the profits are tempting, but you can't handle it. And the reason for this warning was that tuna are really big. I don't know how many of, of us would know that. Um, I, I wouldn't know it until I read it. Uh, tuna are really big fish. They get like 600 pounds, right? It's like you're pulling in a, a hog or something. <laughs> They're just really big. And, and so, again, the commercial ships can handle them, but not, not your little trawler, not your little you know, weekend fishing boat kind of a thing. And so this warning went out, don't go after this tuna. Well, you know human nature, you know what happened next. A bunch of guys took their little fishing boats out and went to catch some tuna anyway. And some of them, not all of them, but some of them, the, the, these fish, if you catch the really big ones, they'll basically pull your boat under. They're, they're not, not completely under, but kind of enough water that people were capsizing and the Coast Guard had to go out and do all of these rescues. And they're like, I told you not to do it. You know? it's, it's a good picture, I think, of, of what we're talking about here. Right? We, because we make that mistake with our own temptations. Right? We, we think we can handle it. Right? I can handle this TVMA show. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm mature. I can do it. I can handle another drink. I can, what, whatever it might be, whatever area you might have identified, we, we overestimate our own capacities and we underestimate the danger that we're in. And so recognize the danger. That's, that's tip number one. Understand what's at stake. Understand that none of us is immune to being tempted. 
None of us is immune. We're all subject to it. That's tip number one we get here from Jesus. Number two, uh, the second uh, tip he shows us here is to stand on the scriptures. Now we get into the, the proactive stuff. Stand on the scriptures. Fight back with the word. Fight back with scripture. Let's look at the, the first temptation a little more closely. So um, verse three, <clears throat> the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. All right. Before we look at what Jesus does when the devil tempts him, let's just clock what he doesn't do, because I think it's very helpful. Look at what he doesn't do. Uh, For example, uh, Jesus does not reason with the devil. I mean, he could have. He could have, you know, he could have pushed back. You know, the devil's like, turn turn these stones into bread. And Jesus could have been like, listen, listen, devil, I'm, I'm not really that hungry. It's, you know, 40 days, you know, they say with fasting, after you fast for a while, you don't even feel it anymore. I'm not even hungry. I don't, you know, it's, that's not even tempting. That's not bothering me at all. He, he might have done that, but he doesn't. He doesn't reason with the devil. He doesn't argue with the devil. Or if you look at the next one, I'm not going to read it right now, but if you look at the next temptation, the one where the, Satan offers him all the kingdoms of the world, uh, Jesus could have pushed back on that. He could have said, you know, the only reason you have any authority at all over the kingdoms of the world is because my father gives it to you. And they could have gotten a nice little push back and forth on, on the whole thing. Jesus could have, could have engaged him that way, but he doesn't. He doesn't argue with the devil. He doesn't even rebuke the devil. And we know that he could. We see him do it a lot in the Gospels. As you keep reading in the Gospels, he's going to rebuke again and again. He's going to rebuke demons and and so on. And and yet he doesn't even do that here in the Gospels, even though he could have. What does he do? He stands on the word. He he goes to scripture. He's just he's gonna he's gonna just come back with scripture without commentary. Every time the devil tries another temptation, Jesus answers with the word of God. Uh, just look at them quickly. And, and it's interesting, and I, I do want to come back to this next week, but it, you, you realize when you start looking up what he's quoting that it's all from the same place. His quotes all come from Deuteronomy, early on in Deuteronomy. They're from chapter 6 and from chapter 8. So he was, you, you get this impression, we don't know for sure, but it seems like he was meditating on Deuteronomy there in the wilderness. Uh, and so uh, the, the bread temptation, Jesus answers from Deuteronomy 8.3, man does not live on bread alone. Um, Satan says, worship me and I'll give you everything. Jesus pushes back with, comes back with Deuteronomy 6, 13. No, we worship the Lord our God and serve him only. Satan challenges him to prove his divinity by leaping from the temple. Jesus comes back with Deuteronomy 6. Uh, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. It's Deuteronomy 6, 16. Uh, like I say, we'll look at uh, each actual temptation more closely next week. We'll dig into them. But big picture, generally speaking, the way he resists each of these and each one is about something different it's coming at him from a different angle and each time he comes back with scripture he comes back with the truth from god's word we need to do the same it's an important principle there standing on scripture is going to work for us just like it worked for him uh, this is why doctrine matters so much, right? The things we believe about Scripture, right? We believe, you know, that, that this is living and active, uh, Paul writes to Timothy, right? It, it's, God's Word is powerful. It's why we read the Bible. We memorize the Bible. We, we hear sermons from the Bible. It's because it's powerful. And so it's a tool. It's a, it's a, it's a weapon, right? It's a sword to help us fend off those attacks, I'll put a plug in here for, uh, for memorization, 
right? This is one of the places. So, so yes, broad reading and listening to sermons, it kind of gets it into our, our souls like a sponge soaking up water. But, but memorization, you can see where Jesus does this in this text. There's no reason to think he's sitting there with his Deuteronomy scroll looking up these verses. He, he's got them up here and in here. And so they're ready to come right out. And, uh, you know, you don't, have to, you don't have to memorize the whole book, although that would be cool. Boy, would that be amazing. But um, I haven't memorized. I, I've not, I've, I struggle with memorization. But, but just having a few key verses, just having a few verses that you go to that are, are verses that really help you to, to put maybe it's a specific temptation or maybe it's just temptation in general into perspective. For me, one of my go-to verses for years has been Galatians 2.20. Right? I am crucified with Christ and therefore I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Boy, does that put a temptation into perspective, right? The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But that's going to reframe the temptation to some trivial thing that, that I might be tempted by or some anger that wells up and against me. Wait a minute. This isn't me anymore. This is Christ living within me. Right? I mean, I don't lose my identity, but, but Christ now, I'm, a, I'm in him. Uh, and so it really helps. So plug for memorization. Um, you know, just a verse a week or something like that. You, you will be glad that you did. And that's a great place to go for your favorites, right? We all have some favorite verses. Go ahead and memorize those favorite verses. You'll be glad you did. So that's tip number two. Stand on the scriptures. That's where our power is. That's where the strength is. Number three, third tip that uh, this text gives us is to identify your weak spots or uh, know your vulnerabilities. That might be another way to do it. But I wanted to spell the word resist. I didn't put it on my slides, but you can see it on the outlines. So identify your weak spots. Identify your vulnerabilities. It helps a lot to know. It helps to know where we're weak, right? And, it just, it, and that's so true with everything else. I mentioned the Super Bowl before. I hadn't really thought about this, but those two teams have been studying each other intently for two weeks, right? To, to know each other's weaknesses. And then they also, the really good teams, also know their own weaknesses so that they can try to fill in those gaps and guard against what the other team's doing. We're saying the same thing here, right? Identify your own weak spots. Because here's the thing. One of the things we notice in this passage that really stands out is how strategic the devil is. Our enemy, he's been studying human beings for thousands and thousands of years. He is very smart as far as that goes. He's, very, he's not wise, but he's smart, right? He's strategic. And you see that in this text. Now, the devil, I, I, I love the emphasis on this, the devil doesn't set this up right? The Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness. So this is God's doing. Uh, the, the devil, is, is, he's just along for the ride, but he's going to use the best he can, right? So God sets it up, but the devil, now that it's happening, he is determined to make the most of it. And so he waits. I think that's the significance of the 40 days. Um, I don't read this as Jesus was only tempted three times, right? So 40 days, no temptation, then boom, three temptations. Okay, good, we're done. I, I would read this as he's being tempted all along, but the fullness of it comes at the end, which is what you see there. So I think what, what, we're, what we're getting here is that the devil held his best stuff for the end. He was holding his best stuff. Why? He's waiting for Jesus to get weak, 
He's waiting for Jesus to be at his most vulnerable. It's been 40 days, Luke tells us, which is a really long time to engage in a fast. In fact, some scholars suggest that this is, this is a supernatural kind of a thing, although I, I believe he endured it in the fullness of his humanity. But 40 days is a really, really long time to undertake some sort of a fast. And so Jesus is, is tempted. He's, he's weak. He's, he's at his most vulnerable at his point. And that's when the devil comes in. He comes in uh, when Jesus is at his weakest, generally, and then he goes first, he goes right for the jugular, right? So Jesus is hungry. He hasn't eaten. He's hungry. Verse two, what's the first temptation? Let's solve that hunger problem for you. Let's, let's get some food. And so he goes after him on that front. And then the others as well are, are uh, going to places where, you know, after 40 days, you start to wonder, is God on my side? Well, let's see if he's on your side. Let's throw yourself off of this tall building and, and see if he saves you. It, 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 he's, he's coming at him at his areas of where he'd be weak. And I think we see in Scripture that the devil does the same thing to us. There's that verse in Peter where Peter tells us that uh, the devil prowls around like a lion looking, whom he, looking for whom he can destroy. You ever watch one of those nature documentaries, right? The lions are coming around, the big herd of wildebeest. They don't go after the big bull, right? They go after the, the, the newborn child, the newborn calf, or they go after the sick one on the side. They go where the weakness is. That's what devil, the devil does. He goes where the weakness is. That's where our temptations will be the strongest. And so the lesson is to know ourselves, to know ourselves well enough to know where our own vulnerabilities are. Right? Yours aren't mine, mine aren't yours. They're, they're, they're going to be different. There's going to be some overlap because there's no temptation that isn't common to man. But, but, but we have to know ourselves, our own areas of weakness. That's why I started the way I did this morning. I thought it was very important for all of us to be thinking uh, specifically right? What comes to mind when, when you hear the word temptation? I thought it would be more helpful if we all had a thing or two or three that, that we were thinking about as we work through this material together this morning. And so we, we, it helps to know where we ourselves are weak. Another angle on this is to just recognize the circumstances where we would be, where we would be more vulnerable. So maybe you identify, okay, so these two areas are really hard for me. You know, that whole idea of, of examination and Psalm 139, search me, O God. I mean, this is something the Holy Spirit does in us. But sometimes some certain circumstances will make us more vulnerable. You see that with Jesus in the wilderness here, where, where being, you know, the fasting and being hungry and alone have, have made him more vulnerable. And the devil knows it. Um, he doesn't sin, by the way. Let's just uh, underline that again, which we'll talk about next week. I came across this acronym a few years ago that I have found helpful, and you see different versions of this, but I've, I've kind of, I've got it written in a notebook, actually, like a prayer book I use. Um, the word, it's the word blast, blast, B-L-A-S-T, and the word blast is actually kind of useful for, for thinking through when we would be vulnerable. Uh, what does it stand for? I'm sorry, I didn't put it on a slide, but um, B is for bored. A lot of us are more vulnerable to temptations of various sorts when we're bored. So B is bored, L is lonely, uh, A is angry, uh, S or, or afraid. Some will say afraid, but I, maybe angry would be one for me. Um, A is angry, S is sad or stressed out, and T is tired. All right, so bored, lonely, angry, sad or stressed, and tired. Blast. 
most of us are most tempted when we're having one or more of those kinds of feelings. Maybe it's something that's similar to one of those. But, but when we are in those sorts of situations, we're vulnerable. It doesn't have to be fasting in the wilderness for 40 days. It could just be you're home all by yourself and you're bored. That's a dangerous time, a potentially dangerous time. And, and what it does is it helps us understand that it's happening. And when we understand that it's happening, kind of circles back to point one, it helps us understand the why. And now we can do something about it, right? If I understand, okay, I'm lonely right now. That's why I want to do this thing. Okay, now what can I do about that? Maybe I can call a friend. Maybe I can just go to bed. Maybe whatever it might, it might be. Uh, it's not smart. You know, some, some examples. It's not smart to get on your phone when you're tired. For some, that's a really tempting thing and a dangerous thing to do. Uh, It's not smart to have a conversation about money when you're already stressed. Pretty good chance you're going to end up in an argument with each other. Don't don't do that. It's not smart to go shopping when you're feeling sad. You went in for bread and milk, you come out with a cart full of stuff, right? We know this about ourselves. We know that there are certain things that make us more vulnerable. And and so that's that's kind of the idea here. Identify our weak spots. Know where we're weak. One more thing on this point, and, uh, and then we'll move on to the last one. Um, I, I came across this poem a while back. Uh, it was written actually in the 1970s by an actress. So it's been around a long time. Some of you may have heard this. Uh, it's called Autobiography in Five Short Chapters. And uh, it's, I don't think it's a Christian thing per se, but I think it's a really useful little poem. It's short for understanding how important it is to know our weak spots, to understand how much this can help us. So autobiography in five short chapters. Chapter one, I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I'm lost. I'm helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter two, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault. Chapter 3. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it's there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It's my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter 4. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5, I walk down another street. That's the idea, right? When we know where, where our, our, when, we're, when we learn ourselves, we let the Holy Spirit lead us through this, search me, O oh God, and show me where, I'm, where I need your help. Uh, he shows us those places, and once we know where they are, we can walk around them, or even better yet, we just start avoiding those situations, those people, those places, whatever it might be. We just avoid them altogether. That's wisdom. So that's tip number three, identify your weak spots. Number four, the fourth tip, finally, uh, is to strengthen your walk with the Lord. Build up, strengthen your walk with the Lord. They say that uh, sometimes the best offense is a, the best defense is a good offense. Sometimes the best defense is a good offense. I think that's absolutely true when it comes to temptation. One of the best things we can do to stay away from the darkness is to get closer and closer to the light, to get closer to to God. And and we see that in this text with Jesus. And again, it's a simple observation of the way he's described. When Jesus went into the wilderness, Luke chapter 4, verse 1, he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of the Spirit. 
And that's so important to notice here. You know, we talk so much about being filled with the Spirit, and Paul's going to write in Ephesians, be, be filled with the Spirit. Uh, even Jesus didn't try to stand on his own apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Even Jesus went in to face the temptation in the power of the Holy Spirit. Even he did. Uh, Jesus, uh, Luke does something wonderful here in this passage. Something, it's, and I wasn't sure what to call it. I'm going to call it a play on words. Uh, but he makes a wonderful play on words here. And what I mean is, in this passage we're looking at, uh, Jesus is both empty and full. He's both. He's described as empty. He's described as full. And it makes all the difference. Where is he empty? He's empty because he's been fasting for 40 days. He's hungry. End of verse 2. He's hungry. His stomach is empty. He's, he's, he's empty in that sense. But he's also full. Jesus is full. He's full where it counts the most, and the place where he's full is what makes all the difference. He's full of the Holy Spirit. Right? And so being full of the Holy Spirit is going to make up for all the emptinesses that are associated with life on a fallen planet. They come from our own frailty, our own weaknesses, and all the rest. And the lesson for us is, be filled with the Spirit. If Jesus needed to be filled with the Spirit, we need to be filled with the Spirit. And that's the best strategy of all. If you remember only one thing from this morning, uh, remember this fourth point, right? The, The best strategy for resisting temptation is to be filled with the Spirit of God. How do we do that? Well, the answer is to do those things that help us draw near to the Lord. Because being filled with the Spirit, it's, it's just walking in communion with God. It's, being, it's, 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 uh, it's what Jesus describes in John 15 as abiding. Abide in me and I will abide in you. Uh, it, it's drawing near to God in that relationship. We talk about having a personal relationship with the Savior. This is really what we're talking about. And, and when you frame it that way, when we understand we're just talking about our relationship with God, now it all makes perfect sense because all of our relationships work that way. Right? The, the best way to strengthen any relationship is to invest in the relationship. You spend time with the person. That's how it works in marriage, if you're married. It's how it works with friendships. It's how it works with dating relationships, your relationship with your kids, whoever it is. If you want the relationship to be strong and healthy, you invest in it. You do things that make that relationship. You invest in that relationship. How do we invest in our relationship with God? Well, it's all the usual suspects. Right? We already talked about one of them. It's the body, you know, the Bible. It's the scriptures. That's a huge way. That, this is how God speaks to us. He speaks you know, through his spirit and in, 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 in prayer, but it starts here. It all is tested by this. He speaks to us in his word. And so being in the word is an important way we invest in our relationship with the Lord. But it's not the only way. Right? Sometimes you know, a guy like me might make it sound like that's the only way. It's not the only way. There's so many other ways uh, where, where we are investing in our relationship with, with the Lord. Uh, we see one of them in this passage. One of them's right here in this text. Jesus isn't fasting because he's trying to cut some weight, right? He's fasting because this is a way to draw near to God, to set aside the, the, you know, the flesh, kind of the, the, uh, the satisfaction of the flesh and putting, forward, putting the things of God first. So he's, he's fasting there. Um, I'll say it again. We're supposed to follow his example in all these different things. And so we should fast. And I don't know what different people's experience with fasting is. I'm not great at it myself. But every time I see it in Scripture, I'm convicted anew to, that, that I need to go back and, and, and work on that some more. Because Not because it's a legalistic thing, but because it's a tool God gives us for drawing close to him. 
It, there's Jesus doing it in this text. Uh, we, should, we should fast. We should pray. Uh, we should worship. These are all ways that we invest in our relationship with God. We should be involved in community, right? And, and that, you might say, how does that, how does being in relationship with each other help us, our relationship with God? It does. It's what the scriptures say in a lot, a lot of places. And so we help each other. Uh, we you know, help each other identify those weak spots. We pray for each other. We remind each other of scriptures. Being in fellowship helps each other strengthen uh, our walk with the Lord. And there's other ones we could probably name at this point. Spiritual disciplines. Kind of Historically, Christians have referred to these kind of things as spiritual disciplines, things that build up our, our relationship with the Lord. They're tools. Right? They're tools that God uses to draw us closer to himself. And, and when he's drawn us closer to himself, we get stronger. We get stronger in him. And when we're stronger in him, we're stronger when the temptations come. That's, that's the idea. So that's tip number four. Strengthen your walk with the Lord. You'll be glad you did. Somebody uh, asked Martin Luther once. Uh, Martin Luther, the, the father of the Protestant Reformation, uh, they asked him how he overcame the devil. And Luther, he was always glad to give his opinions of things. And so uh, somebody asked him, how do you overcome the devil? And here was his answer, real short. He says, well, when the devil comes knocking on the door of my heart and asks who lives here, the dear Lord Jesus goes to the door. And he says, Martin Luther used to live here, but he moved out. Now I live here. If you're a Christian, Jesus lives in you. That's key piece, kind of wrapping this all up. Jesus lives in us, and that means we can turn to him, right? When these temptations come knocking, we can turn to him. The, the, the tips, they're, they're tools for helping with that, right? Recognizing, sta- recognizing the danger, standing on the scriptures, identifying our weak spots, strengthening our walk with him. It all comes back to this idea that he promised to be with us. He's always with us, never leave us, and he will help us when those temptations come. That's the best part of all.